Minehead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 3rd of March 2024. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me, my name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week we're starting a new series, Being on the Road with Jesus, and we're going to look at Zacchaeus, and Tommy spoke on that. The reading is Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10, so we'll go and join Tommy as he's introducing the service. Morning. Good morning everyone, it's good to see you all here. My name is Tommy. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, the other one, Paul, is away on holiday, so you're stuck with me, which is great. Um, yeah, and welcome to Minehead Baptist Church. Um, I'm very excited to, for us all to encounter God this morning and to be before the Lord and to receive from him. But before we get into that, we have to get to the ever-so-important Ever so important notices. Ever so important notices. <laughs> um, first first uh, point of call is that we have a birthday card for everyone to sign out in the foyer for Paul's um, 60th birthday. So, uh, so uh, he'll, be, he'll be coming back uh, next week, so be sure to uh, sign that card uh, if you want. Please do. <laughs> um, we have a, a notice from Debbie. Is Debbie here? Or is Debbie... Ah, okay. Well, I'll continue the notice, and hopefully, hopefully Debbie will return to do the, her notice uh, by the time I've done all the other notices. Another one is men's breakfast, uh, which is happening next Saturday uh, in, in the hall, Saturday at 9 o'clock. So if you are interested in going to that, then let Jeffrey know. If you wave your hand, Jeff. There we go. And did I get the time wrong? 8.30. 8 for 8.30. There we go. Oh, suddenly a, suddenly a Debbie comes along. There we are. And I'm sticky. So I'm sticky because um, after the service, the girls' brigade are having a little cake sale. Actually, it's quite a big cake sale. Um, The girls made some of the cakes on Wednesday. They're going to be lovely. So if you like being sticky, um, we're aware this didn't get announced last week. So if you haven't come prepared to give generously, um, it's fine. We accept IOU notes. (laughs) Because we trust you. Basically, we're just trying to um, get a little bit more to help our funds. But there's some rather nice-looking cakes out there. So you can either enjoy one with your coffee afterwards, or you could take a bag full home. Please. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to go home and do... You warned me it was going to be a three-minute notice. That was barely 45 seconds. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Also, um, another notice, uh, one I'm personally excited about, is we have started Youth Alpha with the 12 to 18s on Fridays, and that was very, very good last Friday. We had some very interesting conversations. Uh, But one of the important things about Alpha, and it was one of the things that just slipped my mind in all the preparation and whatnot, is that Alpha is fueled by prayer. Um... There's this analogy that they like to use that imagine you got yourself a brand new remote control racing car. 
and it's, and it's the fanciest car, it's, it's, it's worth a lot of money, but it doesn't have any batteries. If it doesn't have any batteries, it's useless. Similarly, with Alpha, we can do the greatest setup and the most amazing, wonderful uh, dinner and resources and have all the right training, whatever that means. But if it's not powered by prayer, then we can't expect God to work in the hearts of these young people. And so, uh, the next Youth Alpha will be on Friday the 15th of March. And Alpha will be taking place from 7 till 8 uh, in, the, in the hall with the youth group. So, if you're willing and want to get involved, either when you're at home, just be mindful in that 7 to 8 period on Friday the 15th to be praying, or come join us at church and maybe be praying somewhere in the Stagumba room as a group. Um, if that's something you'd be interested in, uh, do let me know, because we really, really, genuinely, sincerely value your prayers for these young people. We really are expecting that God will meet them and encounter them as they explore faith, some of them exploring faith for the first time. So that is all my notices. Are there any other ones that I have missed without, without Margaret here? I've, I'm kind of like guessing. But, um, I've, got, I've got one. Very good. So it's my mic on. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just one. Uh, open Doors Prayer Guides and Magazines for March and April are now in the, uh, in the rack outside if you want them. Uh, to pick them up and uh, freely available. Great. Thank you, Tom. Wonderful. These aren't just for people who regularly come to pray with us, but anybody, please, use the resources. And again, it's Mm. the power of prayer that we depend on and our persecuted brothers and sisters depend on our prayer. So I encourage you to empty that rack. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Very good. And if there are any other notices I've missed, I'm sure they're on the news sheet. So feel free to grab one of those. Okay. Okay. Prayer in the lounge Wednesday. Wonderful. Very good. For what? For, was it one one o'clock, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For Israel and for Gaza. Yes. Okay. Yes. We didn't hear what she said. Absolutely. Right, yeah. um, I will pray and then I'll hand over to, to the team as they lead us in worship and praise. In the Psalms it says, I have calmed and quieted my soul before the Lord. Like a weaned child with its mother is my soul with the Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this space. You're already in this space, and, and we ask, Lord, that you would welcome us, welcome, make, it, make yourself welcome in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we love you. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We ask that we would encounter you this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tommy. The, the, the first song that we're going to sing is one I know I've done this quite a lot recently, but it, I think it's important, and I love the I love the first verse. Can we have the can have the first verse up, uh, Kelly? Is that is it? There? Yeah. This is why we come to church. We Lord, we come to worship. We've come to pray. Lord, we come to listen and hear what you would say. Let's stand and sing.
We come to this table to remember Jesus Christ. We come here to remember that Jesus Christ is our rock and our salvation. He is our fortress and our deliverer. He is our friend. He is our brother. Everything we do is built on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And this is a simple meal that Jesus did to help remind us of his act of dying on the cross. It's a sign of a covenant, a promise to all, a promise to all who love him that when he died on the cross, he was paying for our sins. He was bringing us home Redeeming us, transforming us, and drawing us near to him. And this morning we come as a family. We come as adults and children together. In one sense we all come as children of God. To the Lord. To remember that we love him. And to remind ourselves that all who love the Lord are welcome to share in the bread and the wine. For our children, we have grapes that they can take if they want, as they um, to share with the family. Grapes are a sign that one day we pray they will make their own choice to commit to the Lord and follow Him. They're a prayer that one day they'll know Jesus personally and taste of the wine of the kingdom of God. And so let us all come to the table. Come to this table not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Because you need Jesus. Come because you love the Lord a little and would love to love him a whole lot more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Almighty God, who all... Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may love you perfectly and magnify the name of Jesus Christ. I'll read a reading from 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Loving God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he gave his life for us. We thank you for his ministry of announcing the good news. We thank you of his ministry to love the loveless, to heal the sick, to comfort the lonely. We thank you that not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again as a taste of the glory that we will all share one day. We thank you for the bread and the wine and the symbols and the signs of your transforming love. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present. Send your Holy Spirit. That we may be renewed in the likeness of Jesus, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We pray this for Jesus and for Jesus' sake. Amen. I invite now those who are to distribute communion to come forward. Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Take this bread in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in faith with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. receive your cup or grape, keep hold of it, and we will eat slash drink together as a sign that we are one body in Christ. Drink this and remember that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Amen. So now we're going to pray for the, for the young ones as they leave. Should have said this at the beginning, 12 to 18s are staying in the main service for today. Um, but... Uh, under 12s will be heading out as normal. So let's pray for those, um, pray for the youngins before they leave. 
Heavenly Father, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to the young, young ones, to the children. We pray that through the leaders and through the resources and through the reading of Scripture, um, that you would touch their hearts and that, that you'd instill things in their minds and their hearts and their souls and their beings that will be with them forever. That it would have literal, eternal implications for their hearts. We pray your blessing upon them in your mighty, precious name. Amen. So now we're going to go into a time of intercession. Um, I remember uh, reading a book of Charles Spurgeon from Charles Spurgeon. And in it, he was lecturing to students on the importance of prayer. And he actually said, bear in mind, this is the guy who was like the, considered one of the greatest preachers in the Baptist church. He said, I am paraphrasing, but he said, I'd rather botch the preach but get the prayer right, then botch the pr- uh, prayer and get the preach right. That's how important prayer is. So no pressure. <laughs> but uh, this morning, I, something that was on my heart as I was thinking about what to pray for um, was, as was mentioned earlier, the persecuted church. We have it so easy here. We have no idea. And so I looked at the Open Doors top ten, and we're going to pray for those top ten countries, one at a time, and give them over to Christ, because they need our prayers. So, number ten is Afghanistan. Lord Jesus, we pray for your Christian family in Afghanistan, in a country that has been retaken by the Taliban, where they're hunted down if they're found to have Bibles. We pray for your, your wisdom amongst your people there. Would you give courage and boldness and strength to our Afghan brothers and sisters? Would you provide everything they need? Would you supply all that they need? And we ask that you would protect them and strengthen them and comfort them. We pray that all of Afghanistan would know Jesus and that your Holy Spirit would pour upon that place. Lord Jesus, we also pray for Iran. A place of much political instability, violence, oppression, where Christians often are arrested and imprisoned just for having meetings in their homes where they read their Bibles. We pray, Lord, for your justice to be in that nation, that the court systems would look favorably. Would you stir up the hearts of the judges so that they would act justly? And we pray for the the 1.5 million Christians in a nation of 82 million people, that they would grow. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the past four decades, more Iranians have come to Christ than the previous 13 centuries combined. We thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you, you are working in that place, and we ask for more. We pray for more. We pray that today, as a result of our prayers... A wide multitude of Iranians will come to know Jesus. 
We pray for your comfort upon them and your comfort upon those who've had to flee and feel the pressures of trying to support their families abroad or have been cut off from their families by paying the ultimate cost of choosing to follow you. Would you comfort our Iranian brothers and sisters? We pray for Sudan, a place of much violence and warfare at the moment. It seems like it was only yesterday that the civil war started happening again. And though the BBC News doesn't seem to talk about it much anymore, Lord, we know that they are in your heart. And so we pray for your comfort amongst those Christians who are facing violence as a result, whose churches are being burnt down, whose businesses are being destroyed, whose families are being isolated. We pray for your comfort upon them. And that through mission workers, aid workers, and other means, Lord, you would supply everything they need. And Lord, we pray that peace would come to Sudan again. And that true justice and true mercy would flow through that place. We pray for Pakistan, a country of over 200 million people, Lord, but with a population in the millions, single-digit millions of Christians who are second-class Christians, second-class citizens, Lord. We pray for your comfort upon them. Would you sustain them? Help them, Lord. For those who are truly making the ultimate sacrifice to follow you, Would you comfort them, Lord? Would they know your presence? Would they know that you are present and that you are assuring them and you will look after them and you will take care of them and that you will grow the church in in Pakistan? Would it grow? Would Would it grow exponentially so that vast waves of Pakistanis would know you? Pray for Nigeria one of the most violent places to be a Christian. Oh, Jesus, we ask for your comfort upon them. Would you protect them, supply them, sustain them with the violence that takes place cease Lord Jesus, would you work in that place so that the Christians in that nation can transform the rest of the nation? In a place where there is violence, would would you say in their hearts, blessed are the peacemakers? We pray for Yemen. Lord, we give you the nation of Yemen with so much violence territorial dispute (coughs) clashes going on Lord we pray that you would equip and empower the Christians in that nation to to be part of the change would you protect them in a place where there's lots of civil war and violence would you supply every single Christian so they know that you are there would you supply them with Bibles with resources And would you transform the community by the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray for Eritrea, a place of real 
a place where there is much violence and corruption, where just uttering that you are a Christian can lead to such devastating consequences, including death. Would you comfort them, Lord? Provide and supply and sustain everything that your church needs there. And would it grow? Would it grow and grow? Would leaders of, of tribes, leaders of, of government who have influence be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? So that your church would grow in Eritrea. Number three on the list is Libya. Lord Jesus, I pray that during the holy month of Ramadan, as they are seeking, to, seeking God, or what, who they perceive to be God, would they encounter Jesus Christ in their dreams and in their visions? Would the people of Libya know Jesus Christ? Would they know Jesus Christ? Would they know Jesus Christ? And would the war cease? Would refugees be able to return safely? Would your church grow in that place? Would your church grow in that place? It's the same with Somalia, Lord, at number two. Lord Jesus, would your kingdom come and your will be done in Somalia as it is in heaven? Would your church grow? Would Somali Christians be protected and supplied and sustained and have everything that they need? It's not right, Lord. It's not right what they go through. Lord Jesus, supply everything that our Somali brothers and sisters need, please. They need you. And Lord Jesus, for North Korea, number one on the watch list. We thank you that in the past few years, it's gone from 200,000 Christians to 300,000 Christians. We thank you that your church is growing in that place. Thank you, Jesus. But we, we pray for more. We pray that Christians wouldn't have to hide their Bibles in their gardens out of fear that the agents of the, of the Communist Party would come. Lord Jesus, we pray that transformation would happen, that those Christians who've been forced to, con forced to the labor camps and are in the toilets, and they, would they experience you there, Lord? Would they experience you everywhere? And would your church grow? And Lord, we pray for your entire church, all those facing persecution of one shape or another. Would you comfort them? Would you strengthen them? And would you work through them? Just as you brought life through death, Lord, would you bring life and transformation through their difficulties?
Would they not be overcome by evil, but would they overcome evil with good? We lift up the persecuted church to you. In your mighty, precious name. Amen. This morning from Luke, Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to start from verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Hmm, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amen. Did you know this is my first time preaching on a passage about Jesus in this church? <laughs> it's all about Jesus, obviously. Um, but first, first time, should have rephrased that. First time preaching specifically on a passage about Jesus. You know, based off of the plan, preaching plan we've had, I've gone, you know, through Daniel and through Hebrews and and different parts of the Bible. But this is finally the first time I get to preach on something that Jesus actually said. <laughs> Hallelujah. Paul's on holiday. I've been let off the leash. It's great. Uh, and so, we'll be kicking off a new sermon series, On the Road with Jesus. And this is in reference to that point in between uh, the point where Jesus says that he set off for Jerusalem... And the point at which he arrives at Jerusalem. These are going to be various stories about that time in between. And the story of Zacchaeus, which is towards the end of his journey, 
It's such a wonderful story. I love it so much. Um, it's, a, it's, it's right at the end of, of the journey, as I said. In Luke 9.51, it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And then over the next 10 chapters until this part in chapter 19, you have all these amazing stories, all these really awesome stories. Some of the most famous stories we know are just all comprised in these 10 chapters. We have the story of the Good Samaritan, the rich fool, the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus, the persistent widow, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. They also contain the story of Mary and Martha um, being at Jesus' feet. The healing of ten lepers, which Paul is going to preach on at some point. The bringing of the, uh, the children to Jesus. The healing of the blind beggar. So much is packed into these ten chapters. I mean, like, in, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, it says in, like, Mark 10 that, that Jesus is, starts to head towards Jerusalem. And then half a, chapter le- uh, half a chapter later, in chapter 11, it says that he's arrived. And you're like, oh, that was quick. <laughs> and it's not that Mark and Luke are con- contradicting, but whilst Mark is saying he set off on the journey and then he arrived, Luke is saying, let's have a look at what happened in between. Let's have a look at some of these stories. And so Mark and Luke complement each other in that way. There's no contradiction going on. And some teachers and preachers would call this section the section of the outcast because so many of these stories are about Jesus engaging with those on the, on the, on the edges of society, those who are neglected by society. And so before we come to the story of Zacchaeus, I do need to do a bit of lead up to the story itself because I know some of you are like, let's just get on with the passage, Tommy. But... Um, and you, you may be thinking why, but imagine, you're a, imagine I was to tell you the story of, of, of a guy called Luke and a guy called Darth Vader on a second Death Star having a final battle in front of the Emperor. You'd be like, what? Who's Darth Vader? <laughs> Assuming you've never seen it before. Um, you'd need to know that there's like two movies beforehand if you're a Star Wars nerd. Um, and you'd need to know some of the things leading up right to this pinnacle moment where such an epic moment in the story is about to happen. Similarly, we need to think about what happens in the lead-up, specifically in chapter 18. I'm not going to go through all of Luke up until this point. Um, (laughs) I could. (laughs) I won't. (laughs) I could, but I won't. Um, In Luke chapter 18, there's the parable of the persistent widow, so the widow who continuously knocks on the door seeking for justice. And, and there's the expectation, well, if, if the judge listens to this persistent widow, how much more will God listen to us? Then there's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, and in this, there's the, the righteous Pharisee who's like, oh, Lord, I, I fast twice a week and I, I do so many amazing things. I give away my money. Thank goodness I'm not like this tax collector. And yet it's the tax collector who's got a repentant heart and in the story is challenging us. If we were the first readers of this, we'd be like, well, the tax collector is the one who's justified before God? Interesting. Well, it's fine if they're adults. Definitely not children though, right? Well, in the next passage, Jesus says, bring the children to me. Let them come to me. 
For only those who have faith such as that of a child will be in the kingdom of heaven. And then we have the story of the rich ruler as well, who turns away because he's not willing to part with his wealth. And then we have the healing of a blind beggar, who clearly they're blind because, oh, I guess they must have not been in favor with God. But then Jesus is like, no, your faith has saved you. You are healed. Go in peace. So we're hearing this story and we're like, what is going on? What's, Jesus is going to all these different groups that we would never expect him to go to. And he's affirming that they are the ones who receive the favor of God. And I was thinking, how on earth will I explain this in a 21st century context? And so I was thinking, imagine, so this is the coronation of, of King Charles. Um, interestingly enough, this is completely irrelevant, but turns out there's aircon and the windows move, are electric in the, in, the, in, the, in the chariot. Who knew? Anyhow. Point being, it's a very fancy chariot. It's a very exciting day. It's the king to be, uh, to be coronated. Now imagine, Charles says, stop the chariot, stop the chariot. And then he goes and sits next to a, a homeless man. And then like, I don't know, shares a baguette with him. I don't know, it's like, it's a, it's a weird image. And we're like, all right, Charles, this is great, but can we get back to the coronation, please? Well, I'll, I'll do you one better. Imagine, after chatting to this homeless person, instead of going the quick way back to the palace, he takes a detour and then goes to the asylum seekers on the barge at Dorset. Hmm. Feel a bit weird? Good. It's meant to feel weird. Because it's, that's, not, that's not what the king's supposed to do, is it? Apparently. But if it feels weird, that... And, if, and imagine if King Charles then let one of the asylum seekers onto the chariot. I know. Does it feel weird? Does it feel a bit odd? That feeling in weirdness and awkwardness is probably something, that's probably a small bit of how weird it was for a Jew to see Jesus talking to a blind beggar and healing them or saying to the children, come here. You know, this is nothing compared to how weird it would have been. And it sets you up for the story of, of Zacchaeus. Now let's get into the text. It says in verse 1 that Zacchaeus was a rich man. Or verse 2 it says he was a rich man. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Interesting. He's a chief tax collector. In the, in the Greek it says arch tax collector. So you have your bishops and your, your archbishops. Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector. He was an arch tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. So you're reading this as, a, as one of the people, and you're like, ah, remember that rich ruler from earlier who turned away? This is another one of those guys. Not just a rich ruler. He's a chief tax collector. And we hate those guys. And, and what's really interesting, it was quite funny preparing for this, because the name Zacchaeus, it means pure and innocent in the original Hebrew. So it's like, imagine there was a politician called Transparent, you know, you know, 
Prime Minister Transparent at, at, at 10 Downing Street. Um, yeah, it, it's, you really like, that's huh, interesting. And so, what was interesting about this, this Mr., Mr., Mr. Honest, Mr. Pure, the, this tax collector? He hears something of Jesus in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was short. Now, in the Bible, it tends to just do one little description. He was rich. He was short. When Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days, it said he was hungry. Which is to say he was really hungry. Which is to say he was really rich. Which is to say Zacchaeus was really short. Small enough that he couldn't see above all the people in the crowd. Couldn't see who Jesus was. And interestingly enough, scholars say that in the ancient Near East, being really tiny was associated with being like stingy with your money. Which kind of contributes further to this picture of the, of the, of the, of the tax collector. So, you know, it, it's, the, it, a modern day example would be like, imagine someone called Mr. Honest, who was a stingy CEO banker just after the 2008 financial crash. That's kind of getting a little glimpse of what it was like for you to think of a tax collector. Like, I'm just about old enough to remember my parents talking about something like a, a financial crash in 2008, but only after a couple years in... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but it was only after... Well, it was when I was in secondary school and we went on a trip to London and my teacher, who was taking me on this school trip, was like, see those people? They're bankers. They're the ones who profited off of us and got, got lump sum bonus salaries after the financial crash when everyone else was plunged into poverty. Yeah. They're the bankers. And so, Mr. Uh, Zacchaeus would be like, in my head, similar to someone called Mr. Honest, who was a stingy CEO banker of Goldman Sachs, getting a, m- a million pound bonus after the contributing to the financial crisis. That's getting a, that's get, and that's just a tiny glimpse of how much the, 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 the tax collectors were hated. And again, he's a chief tax collector, an arch tax collector. It's setting you up, you're, at this point in the story, it's setting you up to think, ah, yeah, he's just like the rich ruler, isn't he? Clearly he's not going to be the Clearly, he doesn't care about Jesus. Who cares about him? It's fine if it's, you know, a beggar. It's fine if it's a child. But a rich, arch tax collector? Surely not. You know, it's fine if it's one of the lower bankers, you know, like Paul McCabe. You know, he's, you know it's fine if he knows Jesus. <laughs> Let it not be the CEO of the bank itself. I mean, come on, that's pushing it. And part of me wishes none of us knew this story so we could enter into it with a sense of surprise. But this isn't what happens with Zacchaeus. He can't see Jesus. So instead of going back to his room and in his fancy house and enjoying his wealth, he thinks no. He says, it says that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Now I've read this story a few times but it never occurred to me that he actually had to run ahead preemptively. That's how desperate he was to see Jesus. 
Like, before in my head, I was like, oh, I can't see. Oh, here's a tree. Let's climb up it. But it's like, you know, he actually has to plan ahead because he's so intent on seeing Jesus. <laughs> and also, it says that he ran ahead. In that culture, to run was a bit embarrassing. It was a bit shameful. And to climb a tree, you know, like, I mean, I don't mind climbing trees. I quite like to climb trees in my own spare time. So, you know, <laughs> didn't need to say that. Um, <laughs> Uh, Zacchaeus, you're just imagining a four-foot Tommy climbing a tree. <laughs> uh, anyhow, sorry. Um, yeah, the, Jesus, uh, Jesus is coming. Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to run ahead. I don't care what people think of me. I'm an outcast anyway. Nobody cares about me. They won't love me anyway, even if I wanted to uh, show them love. I'm going to run. I'm going to run ahead, I'm going to climb this tree, and I don't care what people think, I want to see Jesus. Oh, I had a picture of an evil bankerman that was going to... Was gonna... <laughs> Tax collector, get it? Anyhow. So, so Zacchaeus needs to climb a sycamore tree. It looks so inviting, doesn't it? I, I would love to climb a sycamore tree. But Zacchaeus climbs that tree, and he is waiting with anticipation. He is waiting with anticipation. I don't care what people think. I want to see Jesus. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house. Now, this is where the King Charles analogy kind of falls short, because I can totally imagine King Charles hanging out with a CEO banker at some point. But can you imagine Jesus going to that CEO at Goldman Sachs, or CEO of wherever, of whatever bank, post, like just after 2008, when everyone was like, Ugh. can you imagine Jesus going to that banker and saying, I want to be at your house today? We would be like, What? On earth. Why is he going to the, to the bankman? The CEO bankman. That's crazy. That's bonkers. And so it says, naturally, naturally the people say, it says that when they saw it, they all grumbled. And it says, they said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's bonkers. And what's great is that it says Zacchaeus in verse 6. It says he hurried down. So he hurries down and received him joyfully. It's the, the word joyfully is the same word that's used in John 3, I think, where it talks about the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom. And it says that the friend of Jesus receives Jesus with great joy. So Zacchaeus is the one who's joyful, who's rejoicing. I get to be with the Lord. I get to have him in my house. And we don't really know what they said in this encounter. We don't know what Jesus said. Did he do a three-point sermon? Probably not. That's like a 20th century invention. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, we wonder what, what is it that Jesus would have said to Zacchaeus in this, in, in, at when, when he was hosting him. What were the words he said? How did he convict him? 
We don't know. But I think part of it is left... Part of the reason it's not detailed, like in other places, is because the whole point of the story is that Zacchaeus got to encounter Jesus. And his encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ, was so overpowering, overwhelming, mind-blowing, that it, that it leads him to, be, to recognize his wrong and to show a repentant heart. It says that Zacchaeus, in verse 8, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Wow. That's amazing. I, and it kind of, it also helps us think about the rich man. Because remember how Jesus said, you must sell all that you have if you want to follow me. I kind of grew up and was thinking, uh-oh, does that mean I have to give up everything? In, in Jesus', Jesus show, in this story of the tax collector, it shows that the tax collector, he didn't give everything he had, but he was willing to give what was, whatever was necessary to make amends. And he was willing to part with whatever because of his encounter with Jesus. And so Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so, guys, I I want you to think in your head. Imagine in your mind, Jesus has chosen to meet with this outcast. Because whether we... I'm I'm currently pondering this, and I I think I'm right. I'm happy to be challenged on this after the service. But um, in many ways, the bankers are outcasts in our society as well. The CEOs, we hate them... I say we, not you guys specifically, but a lot of people have resentment towards the bankers. And they don't want to associate with the rich ones because they, did, they were the people who, who betrayed us and ruined our lives. Just like the tax collectors who betrayed the Jews, betrayed their own brothers and got rich off of it. This is a, this is a really subversive story. It's a really challenging story because it's a, it's a story of Jesus willing to go to even the ones today that we feel uncomfortable going to. Jesus would definitely go to the people on the barge, the asylum seekers. He definitely would. Regardless of politics, whatever you think, he would still meet them. Jesus would meet with a homeless person. And he would meet with the CEO banker He'd meet with the head of Goldman Sachs, definitely, and American Express and all the others. He would meet with them, and he would show them love. And so, two things I want us to ponder. There are other things from this text, but two things I want us to ponder today. Zacchaeus, despite his sin, despite his status, despite what he'd done, he was so desperate to see Jesus. He was willing to climb a tree. He was willing to run ahead and climb a tree. How willing are we to encounter Christ? 
what steps are we putting in place to ensure that Christ is someone we're meeting on the way, on the journey? It's worth pondering because me and my role as a, as a, as a minister, it can be very tempting to think, oh, I've, you know, I've studied and I've done this and I've done that, but you know, I'll, leave, I'll leave time with God to another time when, it, when the opportunity arises. But the reality is Zacchaeus was not having any of it. If Zacchaeus was not having any of it, how much more should we not be having any of it? How keen are you to encounter Jesus Christ through church, through, Christ, uh, through the scriptures, through prayer, in all the different ways, how, are you will, how keen are you to encounter Christ? Secondly, in what ways are you a grumbler? I say this as a challenge to myself as well. In what ways are we... In what ways have we allowed certain ideas to creep into our minds and our hearts about certain groups of people in our society? Ah, those people are not the ones that Jesus wants to meet with. And of course we wouldn't say that with our words, but maybe in our heart we're like, oh, Jesus meeting them. I don't know. I won't mention the, the ones that are really challenging just because there's under 18-year-olds here. But, um, you know... There are some people that we're like, they are the people that can't possibly meet Christ. And we think it in our hearts sometimes. At least I do. And I have to check myself on that. And finally, is, uh, <laughs> in what, it's, it's, it's not a cop-out, oh, we need to give all our wealth. Absolutely not. But in what ways are we willing to express ourselves and express our devotion to the Lord. It doesn't have to be money. It can be anything, really. But in what ways, having encountered the risen Jesus and encountered lunch with him, you know, the presence of God um, and all these different things, in what ways does that move us to want to be willing to give anything and everything to God? How desperate are you to find Jesus? In what ways are you running the risk of being a grumbler? How willing are you to give everything to Jesus? It's a good story, the story of Zacchaeus. It challenges us. But that's the great thing about the Bible. It's it's, it's almost like you read it and it's like, huh. It's a litmus test. Oh, okay. Oh, I see how I... Oh, Okay. That's how I need to be challenged. That's where I need to reorient my thinking. The word cuts like a two-edged sword. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you met everyone. You are willing to encounter everyone, from the Pharisee, to the beggar, to the homeless, to the rich ruler, to the heads of households, to the women, and to the tax collector. And not just any tax collector, the chief, arch tax collector. 
Lord, would you help us to think about the ways in which we need to be more like Zacchaeus in being eager to meet you. Making you the main thing in our lives, the center of our lives. And we ask for an encounter with you. We ask for more encounters of you that, that draw us nearer to you. We pray, Lord, also for the ways perhaps in our minds, that we, in our hearts, that we have seen certain people maybe as the people that can't possibly receive you. Would you stir that up in our hearts, Lord? Would you convict us by the power of your Holy Spirit? <coughs> that we may hand that over to you in prayer and confession and repentance. And Lord Jesus, for us, for us who've encountered you, would you help us to truly express that, that, that attitude of, Lord, everything that I have is yours. In all the best ways, would you help us to be more like Zacchaeus? That we may glorify you. That we may love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We ask all these things in your mighty, precious name. Amen. Bless you all. There will be tea and coffee afterwards in the hall, so please do stay. It will be lovely to chat. Um, I will give a blessing, and then there will be one final song. So, a rewriting of Psalm 19. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart and the thoughts of our minds and the deeds of our hands be pleasing in the sight of Jesus Christ. Will they be acceptable in his sight? And would we truly say that Jesus Christ is our Lord, our rock and our redeemer? Amen. To leave a comment, please go to mindhead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening and I'll speak to you soon.